any ahas or insights overnight? A question about the movie. Yeah. I might have missed something. So when y'all were talking about the middle way when he was having a cigar and drinking the alcohol, mm -hmm. but then they went out and, and he was throwing up. So did the other guy drink too much? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I thought he was just doing what Socrates did. Yeah. Well, um, that's a good question. Um, I I never thought about it. Does anybody else have a thought about it? Or maybe it was hard liquor. I didn't remember that part. <laughs> you know, I actually wanted to the see same it. thing. I thought. Really before before okay, just to have a shot was okay, but why is he throwing up? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think I presumed that he. Um, he wasn't used to hard liquor, but also maybe that, um, I mean, who knows what he had eaten before. Also, um, perhaps, do you remember how um, Socrates seemed to be sipping his, whereas he shot his right back? So he, maybe he, he drank more aggressively. But the, the, to me, the clear message was that um, whatever he was doing, he wasn't doing it mindfully. Okay. Whereas Socrates could have the occasional drink and cigar. And he was trying to teach, I mean, who knows, maybe Socrates was someone who would only do that with a student in order to demonstrate it's not about deprivation, it's not about um, punishing yourself or living in um, necessarily celibacy or something like that, but really being able to walk the middle way where you don't have extremes. You're not overindulging. Because only the ego overindulges. You know, for me, the best way is to not make anything wrong or bad. You know, and that, that's what I teach in Masterful Living, that, um, you, you know, if you're going to have um, anything, just enjoy it, don't think that it, it's wrong or bad or that you're a sinner for having it. You know, if you're, if you're going to have, you know, a big bowl of margarita, enjoy it. Otherwise, don't have it. You know, just enjoy it without any idea that you're bad or wrong for wanting it or having it. Same with sex, same with everything. You know, just take, take all that thought off of it. Because it's the thought that makes us feel terrible. It's not the thing itself. Bless it. You know? I really do. I encourage people, pray before you have sex. You know, I remember the first time I said that in a class, somebody said, what do you pray for? I said, what do you think you pray for? <laughs> what would you like to experience? <laughs> You know, pray for intimate communion and joyous rapture and deep connection and yeah. I don't know. Maybe there was something more in the book about the drinking. I don't remember. I read it a long time ago. I can't remember that. But now I'm going to go by the book. Yeah. <laughs> read it. Because mm. I'll read it in a different place. Yeah. Now. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'll do the same thing.
because I've seen the movie so many times. It's a, it's a really good movie. Yeah, it's beautiful. The first time I showed it at a retreat, I hadn't actually seen it myself. I was just trusting that it would be good. And um, people read the reviews, and they said, the reviews are terrible, Jennifer. You know, it was kind of like, are you sure you want to watch this movie? I said, you know, I, I read the reviews, and the reviews were, it's all spiritual platitudes, <laughs> and so cliché. And, <laughs> but, but the thing is, you know, what makes a cliche a cliche? It's because it's so true. That's what makes it a cliche. And um, there's nothing wrong or bad with cliches. Um, you could just say it's, uh, cliches aren't original. But the thing with a story of a spiritual path it's not going to be much original because we're all on the same path and we have much the same experiences and the, it's the commonality that we appreciate that oh I am not the only knucklehead on the path you know, that other people have these thoughts too year after year in Masterful Living when people start working with their prayer partners so many people tell me I can't tell you how comforting it is to know I'm not the only one who thinks these thoughts yeah Mm-hmm. It just affirms it's okay. I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, and that's a lot of what comes through in the spiritual counseling. Is um, like I- I'm so glad I actually you had that experience with the acupuncturist because it's not very skillful for her to say that. You know, it's definitely you know, wow. <laughs> imagine if you're sitting with a client and they're telling you what's going on with them and you went wow you have a lot of issues <laughs> yeah, no. well, yeah. you know what else it makes me think of when, um, when you I had to take my husband to the hospital a while back he was having leg problems and, and he'd had blood clots, so when you get there, you know, you go in and they take your blood pressure, and, uh, you know, I, I'm looking, and and the nurse and the whoever else is there is like really calm, and they're not saying anything, and all. oh well, because it's like, then later on, I was talking with one, and it's like, yeah, we don't go, oh wow, that's really hot, <laughs> oh god, you're going to die now. <laughs> It's kind of, that's what it reminded me of. You got a lot of issues. Oh, wow, you're going to die. Well, she was very good. Oh, I'm sure. And and she did tell me, you know, when you retire, I need to exercise more, which I know that. Yeah. I mean, she had a lot of good advice. Yeah. Probably she's just not used to getting as many people there with that many conditions. (laughs) Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, everybody, you know, we're all human. But I'm, I, I feel like that happened so that we could talk about it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so that we could laugh at you and go, ha ha, it's your day. <laughs> Tomorrow will be mine. I have a feeling that she would say that to me, too. <laughs> as far as physically, you know, back things, yeah. leg things, knees. Mm. 
Where do you want to start? <laughs> yes. It's sort of what you were describing yesterday. It's, it's like if, if I'm seeing it as the counselor through that lens, I'm going to get overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. If I'm believing the stories, That's I'll right. be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. That's right. But if I see the deeper truth, That's right. I'm just moving that chi through. That's and right. It's just, it's, I, I highly doubt you're a rarity. I was reading something. I'm from New York City for a weekend. You know. Highly doubt of anything. Else. Yeah. So I think it's it's the vision through which you're seeing and hearing it. It's such a great reminder of that story to me. It's like yeah. Back up, see the light. <laughs> Recenter, recalibrate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I've definitely had clients that I had no idea what to say to them, no experience with their issues, none. I've counseled so many people with children. I don't have children. I've counseled so many married couples. I've never been married. You know, I've lived with boyfriends and things like that, but but still, you know, because it, it, it all, it, almost everything comes down to, it all comes down to misperception. It all comes down to false beliefs. It always does. It never comes down to any other thing. And so that was one of the things that I got for us to look at today is to be really uh, aware of any temptation to solve people's problems. We do not solve their problems. We're not the problem solvers. You know, and they might like for us to be the problem solvers, but it's the wisdom within them. It's uh, supporting them and finding that inner insight and wisdom. Because it's just like teaching a man to fish or giving him fish, you know. That's really the same principle. Because otherwise they would go to some kind of coach or some other person who's going to help them problem solve, find coping strategies. Mm-hmm. But we're really here to help them transcend, transmute, and transform. And again, spirit does it all. Transmute, transcend, and transform. So nothing has to be solved. Because no problem is real, no matter how real it seems. And I practice this all the time. all the time in business. Many times I've had to really work with my staff because especially, you know, uh, most of my staff doesn't really have a spiritual practice or not a spiritual path. 
although they'll listen to my classes and appreciate them and ask me questions about garden things. Um, so um, sometimes they will, you know, once they learn how I think, they start to shift how they think. But sometimes when people first start, they'll email me or call me and say, we have a big problem here. You know, they'll leave, you know, this is a big problem, we've got a real issue here. And, uh, you know, so I gently teach them about the nature of problems and how problems dissolve. And they, you know, in, in time with working with me, they start to see that, oh yeah, things actually do work better if you work with your mind rather than trying to solve all the problems in the world's form. So, and it's perfect to write these things on this page with a reminder of Sheila's issues that she was talking about. Because if you try to work at these issues at the level of form, they just go on and on and on and on and on and on. And they show up, you know, and then maybe she moves to another relationship and then manifests them there. And they, they don't end because the issues are not, it's, it's not her sweetheart that has the issue. You know, it's, it's really in her mind and he's helping her to work on it by saying, you know, we'll get married eventually. Bless her little heart. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And if you think of every client that's coming to you, no matter what they think their issue or problem is, that it's really, if you just look at it all as being the same thing, it's like I have in my, the masculine workbook. I have that wall. Right? So, uh, you've got these bricks in the wall. So, the foundation of the wall between yourself and your awakened self, your personality and your awakened self, down here it's just really um, this one thought, however you might express it. That's the foundation of the entire wall. So what are some of the ways that you can see in your own life that this thought is expressing? Because this, then that. What are some of the then that's that you experience? As good as them, comparing. Yeah. So you're you're less than. Um, 
What of mine is that I'm not living up to my husband's desires or, you know, what he would like me to be, what he'd like me to look like, what he would like me to be. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're, we could say you're insufficient, mm-hmm. um, not good enough. You're better than, you're more spiritual. Absolutely. (laughs) More spiritual than that. And you'll see clients who want to argue for their limitations, but you don't understand. My situation is really bad. One time I had a client who was telling me how especially bad their situation was. And I said, um, you know, I don't think you'll ever be able to heal that or recover from that. I think, I think you're doomed. I think you're really doomed to suffer forever with that. And they were like, really? I said, would you accept it if I said it was true, you know? Mm-hmm. And they were like, I said, so let's not argue for, you know, just how bad things are. No, I don't think that. I think it actually can be miraculously healed. And I'd like to help you with that. But if you're really convinced, or you're trying to convince me that it's so, so, so insurmountable, that makes it harder. So what would you like? You know, because people will come and they will argue for their doubt, their limitations. And I did have someone once who took Finding Freedom who, um, in theory, did all the work. They filled out the, every page of the workbook, you know. And, and they wanted a refund because they had done all the work and it didn't do anything to help them. And so I had them send me the workbook and uh, I said, and we talked about it. And we, we had talked before, and I said, here's what it seems like to me. It seems like you're looking to me to confirm that you're a lost cause. It feels like you would like to, that you took this class and you did all the work with the intention of proving you cannot be helped. So I just would like you to know that uh, I, 
And I asked, I said, do you think that's true? And they said, yes, I do. I think that's true. I said, well, at least you know that. And now you, I'd like you to know that I don't think it's true, but if you would like to keep proving it, you will believe that you're proving it even though you're not. It's not provable because you can transform. You can heal. I know this. You're, you're not the worst case I've ever seen, you know, not by a long shot. It's just you're, you're in the space of you like the idea that you're unfixable, that you're so broken and so damaged you cannot be helped. But I will never agree with that. I know it's not true. So if you ever decide you'd like to find a different way, I'm right here for you. And I give her a full refund. But, because, you know, it was really, I just wanted the opportunity to talk with her about it, because I could feel what was going on. But I don't have to convince her, and I for sure don't have to convince her I'm the one to help her. But it does take a certain uh, strength and fortitude to be able to honestly, lovingly, compassionately, without being triggered, without making it about you, to be able to talk with people who will sometimes confront you like that. You know, because her initial approach to me was, your program doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And my money-back guarantee is, if you do the work, I believe it will work for you. And if you do all the work and it doesn't work for you, I will give you your full money back. Because you'll definitely have clients who are going to argue for their limitations. Haven't you all argued for your limitations at some point in your life? Or made it about someone else? Like when you first started in Masterful Living, you know, there was a sense that you were, that the marriage issue, it wasn't your issue. It was his. Mm-hmm. It was about him. It's yeah, true. But then your mind started to heal when you realized it's about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And you got some relief from that intensity of the upset you were feeling. Oh, yes. It's much, 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 much better. You know what only comes around? Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. very infrequent now. And yeah. usually I get myself back on track fairly quickly. Yeah. But, you know, that's not true. What are you doing, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's never about us, Jennifer. You know, it's always somebody else's <laughs> problems that we're, whatever we're wrong right. with. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like the person who, because I've had so many people come to me and they say, my mother's a complainer. My sister's a complainer. My husband's a complainer. And it's, I can't stand it. And it's such a downer. It brings my energy down. It sucks the life out of me. And I just don't know what to do. What do I do? And they, most people who approach me, they're like, what can I say to make them stop complaining? (laughs) And so, uh, and I, my work is to say, okay, this is about you. So it's about you not complaining about the complainer. <laughs> you know, and a fair amount of people, at least initially, they're like, 
That, no. <laughs> That's not where I want to go with this. That's not where I want to go with this. I want managing and coping strategies. Oh, there, I just saw the deer jump over that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Run him around. There it is. Oh, there it is. Wow. She's wow. wow. she a new baby every day. I think. This morning she had a You know, the little, the younger ones will hang out together, you know, just like teenagers. <laughs> they must live here. When I heard the man shooting, I was like, I hope he's not shooting at this deer. <laughs> I don't think it's deer season. Yeah. Oh, man. But there's two larger ones and then babies. On Deer Isle, where we have our house, there's... That people don't kill enough deer, the deer are multiplying so much, and then they, you know, they just they you know, they eat all everything in your garden, oh, everything yeah. around your house. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they shoot them where I'm from too. But. <laughs> I got these um, hibiscus bushes last year. I got four of them planted them in the yard. In August, I went back in October, and there was not one leaf, not one thing on any of them. Sticks. Just the sticks. They like the, the pink branches. <laughs> so they're coming back. I'm hoping they'll let them come back at least for the summer. All right. So um, now that thing about complaining about the complainer, yeah, because it is such a common thing. Does anybody have someone who's a complainer in their life? That, mm. <laughs> so a counseling session with Angel yesterday. <laughs> so it's. Um, when when we notice we have an aversion, right? So, uh, as you may have heard me say, that the teachings of Buddha are that um, attachments come in two basic guys called flavors: cravings and aversions. So, craving is I need it, I want it, I have to have it, I can't be happy without it. And the aversion is, I can't stand it, it makes me sick, I hate that, it's ruining my life. Those are the aversions. And so all aversions, all cravings are attachments, and all attachments cause suffering. They are the cause of suffering. And every attachment, I have found, is at its heart, it is a thought, a judgment, an opinion, a belief that's simply not true. And if you have any questions about, like, oh, what about this one? What about that one? It's great for discussion. So if you think of any, that you're like, well, what's, how is that an attachment? How is that? How's, where's the judgment in that attachment? Um, Can you say that again, So all attachments which means all cravings and all aversions, all attachments have, as far as I can tell, at their core, a belief or a thought that's not true, which is a judgment. So, um, the... The person who is complaining, uh, what is the energetic of the person who's the complainer? Hopeless. Hopeless. 
Victim. Victim. Sense of lack. Yeah. So disempowered. Of course. Yes. It is. You know, my, my husband uh, is a complainer in, in a way. Uh, and I, I think it's coming from his feeling of, of being powerless. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'll ask him, you know, well, how was your day? And then he'll go blah, 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 blah. And he gets it all out of his system. Right. And it, I don't take it in. I just let him get it out. Right. And then he's cheerful and happy. And <laughs> right. Yeah. So it, it, it doesn't, it's like I let it bounce off. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's his way of sharing what his experience was. And his frustration. Right. And I, I feel like I owe him. You know, he's out there in the world, you know, groping with, with uh, things that I don't have to worry about. Right. And so I just, I just encourage him to get it out. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's compassionate listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are times when I definitely... Am bothered by things, and I will contact someone that I know can lovingly listen and uh, and not really agree with me, but just lovingly listen and hold that space with me. One time, I made an error. I um, I complained about someone. You know, I was sharing, but I was complaining about someone. Uh, it, that uh, we both knew uh, that that I felt bothered bothered me, and my friend said, "Oh, you know, I'm gonna this and that," and I was, and I just realized I, I can't have that kind of a conversation with that person because they took it on and amplified it, mm-hmm. and you know, and so and that was not my intention. My intention was to just dispel it and release it. Um, so, and that's really what people who will be complaining will come to you for. They don't want to stay stuck in the complaint. And many people are, one of the things they would come to you for is help with someone who's complaining in their life. You know, like I said, my mother constantly complains, you know, my my husband, my father, my wife, my sister, my brother, my co-worker, my boss, and I'm sick of listening to all the complaints. 
So one of the things that goes on with that is that, well, just think of it. How do you feel when you're with someone who's complaining, complaining? How do you feel? It can be very tiring. What are your thoughts about it? You want them to stop. stop it. <laughs> Do something. You want them to stop. Do something. Do something. Yeah. If you want it to change, then you'll change it. You know. <laughs> to be irritating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My lower self is like irritated. So mm-hmm. like, oh, stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that what I observe in many spiritual students, and this used to be true for me too, is I would want to make the complaining stop. Because in my mind, I'm thinking, you think you're just speaking words and it doesn't matter. But what I know is you're constructing your life energetically. Your thoughts and words and feelings are the building blocks of your future experiences. I don't want to assist you in any way in constructing more suffering for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? Because the, the, your thoughts, your words, and your feelings are always going to be the building blocks of your future. Always, always, always. And the more feeling you uh, align with your thoughts and beliefs and your words, the more energy they have to come to your experience. So this is why the complainers are like on a hamster wheel. Of re-experiencing the same thing and the same thing. I once had a boyfriend who would complain, and um, like now I think of him from time to time. Like for instance, if I spill the coffee, if I do something like that, because when I was with him and he would do something like that, he would get so upset. Oh, you know, and he would just explode in anger, and I. He never took it out on me, really. But it was just being in the same room with that expression. He was his brother. He said, he's my little sister. He's ahead of me. Oh, and there's another one. Yeah. I want to talk to you. There's, there's, I've seen like six of them. It's a deer trail. So, um, yeah, so many spiritual people have an aversion to complainers. They have an aversion because they're like, oh, that's so bad, it's so wrong to complain. So they're judging the judgers, right? And and they want to make them stop. They want to show them what I know is your word and your thought your beliefs, they have power. 
But people who are active, active complainers, they're not interested in that. And what are they interested in when they're complaining? They want to be heard. They want to be heard, they want to be felt, they want some commiseration. They also want the suffering to end. Yeah, that's why they complain in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the validation. Isn't it awful? That's awful. That's right. <laughs> I had this client just last week, and I see her. Um, I, I can take in Medi-Cal, which is the welfare in California, and she's had a rough, rough, rough life and a host of neurotransmitters, just a lot of stuff. And she's living with her sister, who, according to her, is alcoholic and abusive to her. Um, she's on disability. She doesn't have a lot of choices about where to live. So this is shelter. But she just is so angry. And it's exactly what you're saying. Just so angry, so angry at her. And I've tried, you know, I was trying to gently say in the last few weeks, exactly what you're saying, Jennifer. It's like I can see how the anger is toxic to her. It's not helping her. So I've tried to find ways to gently, you know, see the light, try and like... And just last week she came in and she said, I, I have to tell you my, about my sister. I know you don't want to hear me get angry about my sister again. And then I hadn't said this to her, but her other sister in North Carolina had. She said, and I'm so sick. I don't want to hear any ho-ho-ho-pono-pono or boo shit. And she kept going on and on. And I'm trying to like hide my bracelet. <laughs> like, I get it. Just me. And I thought, okay, I get it. I get it. And I just listened to her, and this is what you're saying, like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I asked God so hard with your sister. Yeah, and I heard it, I heard it, I heard it. And then, because I had said to her the week before, you know, I think underneath that anger, maybe an awful, you know, hurt, and I can feel your... She wasn't having it. But because I let her just bitch, and had some agreement, I mean, I didn't say, well, your sister's horrible, but how horrible that must feel to her, and how hard and challenging... And so when she got done with her rant, and I really was clued in, do not say anything that might sound like <laughs> she just, tears just started streaming down. Not because I said, you know, I think they're sad. Just the tears started streaming down. Yeah. Just, like, just let someone get it. Like, I, I get it. I yeah. get it. Yeah. No. It was just such a confirmation of everything you're saying. Yeah. It's because it's kind of an art to balance, to hold the light be here, hold the light with me here all at the same time. It's like, it's an art. Yeah, and if you can hold the space with someone, even, you know, friends and loved ones are good practice. It's like you're talking about, Vanessa. To be able to hold the space with the person and work with your own mind, your own aversion, mm-hmm. and, and give thanks. This is helping me to release the aversion which will be my freedom and my expansion, and I'm grateful for that. So I'm going to give the heavy lifting of these judgments and opinions that I am now feeling towards this person uh, who, the only reason we're feeling those judgments and opinions towards that person really is that uh, they are giving us an opportunity to work with the mirror. Mm-hmm. Right? So the mirror is... Um, so 
something that we hear a lot about in spirituality. So the mirror is a reflection of your self. Usually the self. It's not a mirror if it doesn't bother you. You know, and it helps to think, what would Jesus do? Like, what would Jesus have done with that woman? He would have sat with her and he would have listened to her. And he would have held the space for her to come into her right mind. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing. They have the inner teacher. We rely on their inner teacher by recognizing that it's there. We may be the first person they come in contact with who's ever felt and seen and recognized their inner teacher. But when things are bothering us, when our client is bothering us, when the people in our life are bothering us, the mirror is only a reflection of our own disowned stuff. Otherwise, it's just a cry for love. And so, then, if we're intent on being loving, there's no problem when it's a cry for love. But when it when it's like nails on a chalkboard to us, then it's an opportunity. We're something we are rejecting in ourselves and projecting out into the world has come around for us to look at. Thankfully, thankfully, we can. And that, my experience is, I do experience that with every single person. It's just it may be more amplified in this woman, right? But that's the only difference, because it's hardly that I don't have that experience of being angry at a relative, um, close or far. And so it is just all this opportunity, so I find that the stronger my own spiritual practice can be, the steadier I can be. Because that's an awful lot of processing all in one moment, if it's, you know, if I'm trying to do it in that sort of cognition way. You know, which is why the praying before each person comes in for my own unification is so important. Because I feel like the difference between Jesus and me is that I'm on my way, but I have yet to, I haven't gotten to my full atonement. Right. So, I, my stuff comes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's why you're in that profession. Yeah. You know, yes. it's because that's how you pick to work with your stuff. Right. Same for me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of bonus. You. <laughs> I mean, I feel very blessed. Yeah, <laughs> I feel so blessed. Yeah. I learn from every class I teach, every session yeah. I do, everyone. There's not one without fail. Yeah. Which is why I am so prolific because I'm really interested in my healing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Truly. Yeah. Yeah. 
have a question. So sometimes I get, because I do on a metaphysical shop, I, sometimes I get people in like that, and I, I have the desire to hold space for them, but I don't. I also have a reaction because like I want to also hold space for the shop because they're not the only person that's in there right. all the time. Right. And so I don't know how to balance that. Uh-huh. Um, there's one person in particular that I'm thinking of that comes in like once a month or so and just wants to talk about the exact same thing every time. Um, and I don't, it's like part of me like hopes nobody else comes in and then part of me is like maybe I like want this to end. Like, you know, because like I don't want, I also don't want, because like if nobody else comes in for like the two hours that she's there, then that's like, that's like <laughs> a period of time that like I am not doing business. Yeah. So it's, it's, I don't, I don't actually really know how to handle it properly. Yeah. And I have all, I feel, I do, I'm, I find myself like praying the whole time she's talking, like mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. Because mm-hmm. like I kind of feel trapped and I don't want to ignore her. Are you really asking for guidance? Like, do you call the angels in? Do you call Jesus, Buddha, whoever yeah. is saying, give me the guidance? Yeah. To... Well, you know, I, I, I did that a lot, especially the last time he came in. And she actually just cut herself off a lot. Mm. And went and bought something. And yeah. Went home. Uh, and like, I do want to help her, but like, she also like never like asked for a session or anything. Yeah, so, exactly. So I don't exactly. know like. Yeah. What's up with that? So a couple things. One is, oftentimes, if we're seeing someone as needing help. We're not helping. Check. (laughs) (laughs) And that can be tricky, you know, because I feel called to support and assist people all the time. But there's there's difference between seeing oh, um, I I, feeling I feel called and guided to to help this person. Many times people will come along which seem to have bigger problems than this other person, but I don't feel called to help them. You know, I just know they're working it out, and you know, God's so waking alive in their mind, and all is well there. Um, but somebody else, I'll feel called to extend something to, but not to everyone. So I, I, that's how I know my inner guide is working. You know, and that I, and I really, it's really important to me not to see people as needing help, and certainly not needing my help. But yeah. still feeling called to help people without thinking they need my help. Right. But that my, the inner guide is prompting me to say something, to do something, to offer something, to make a prayer, whatever it might be. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, uh, at first she really triggered me. And then. That's why she keeps coming in. Right. Well, I mean, the last time she didn't trigger me as much. Yeah, and, that's uh, good. Um, I think that, um, I think it's more that I've, 
like have guilt surrounding it, like because because I am like I'm really psychic and and like I can just hear her wanting me to help her. She like um, she sees, and that happens to me sometimes, where like people just they want to just be around me, which mm-hmm. is fine. Um, but they like feel like they need something from me that they don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and like they feel like they need help. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, she was someone like you're saying, like it's so easy for me to want to agree with her. Right. And then, um, and then I just, I yeah, I don't really want to agree with her because like she doesn't really need help. She's fine. She just doesn't think she's fine. Mm-hmm. You know. And uh, yeah. And it's funny because she's actually one of those people that is constantly talking about everyone else that's having all these problems. Mm-hmm. That she just wants to love them and fix them. Mm-hmm. And why won't they let her? Symmetry. <laughs> uh. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a section in the course about healing the unhealed healer. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, it's physician heal thyself, healer heal thyself. Yeah. Um, so, one thing uh, for those who might be interested, I have my certification program, which probably most of you looked at. And so, um, and w- one of the requirements is to to take Finding Freedom, to take Masterful Living, and to do the work in those classes, to do 111 uh, practice sessions. And uh, then uh, there's an evaluation, and uh, and then I certify you uh, if you've done all the work. And so in, uh, in the certification process and then after certification, I list you on my website. And I encourage people all the time to go and find one of the people listed on the website to have a session with. And I just ask that you, if you're in my certification program, that you do your practice sessions on a love offering basis. And um, I, so I can keep referring, referring, so it's a donation basis. And that uh, and people usually will do their 111 um, in a year or less. Depends on how aggressive they are. It doesn't. There's no time limit. I haven't got a time limit on it. And uh, when you do your 111 sessions, there's an evaluation form for you to fill out and one for your client to fill out when you send me those. And then also in the certification program, I do a once a, a month class where everybody in the program can ask me any question that you like. And then also the people in the certification program, they have two community calls a month where they talk with each other. And, um, and a lot of the counselors in the certification program get a lot of sessions with each other. They do a lot, just like you're doing here. And they really like it, um, that part of it. So um, what I, one of the things I suggest to people is to get their 111 sessions is to put it out there in their community 
look, I need to do 111 practice sessions. I'm doing them for, and you can set whatever fee you want. I don't have any rules about that. It's just if I refer somebody, I ask that you do it on a donation basis. Um, And I also invite you to consider making uh, a tithe offering to the ministry. Um, And then we have certified one person so far, and then she's listed on there as someone who's certified. So she doesn't do, she sets her rate, whatever that rate is. And and then for that listing, I just ask you to make a tithe to uh, the ministry. Um, is there a cost for that program, Jennifer, or is it all time? Yeah, it, it is. It's, um, I forget what it is. Uh, I'll look that up. I forget what it is. I didn't see that piece yeah. on the website. Oh, really? It is on the, I, I've seen it. Well, I can't it, remember I, what it, it is. It, 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 it does add it up. I've looked at it several times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's, I think, if I'm saying, if, if I'm correct, it's just a, basically, um, the cost of all the individual components, basically. Yeah, that's what I saw. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the finding freedom plus the masterful living plus the sacred circle. Sacred circle plus the intensive. I think there is, is there another charge? But I don't remember what it is. Yeah. Okay. This course. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have a question. No. This is a you oh, and it includes three sessions with me, three one-hour sessions with me. Mm-hmm. So I know there's an additional that cost for that. Three one-on-one? Three one-on-one, yeah. Um, we were talking about the journals from Masterful Living and Finding Freedom, and we were discussing if those had to physically be turned into you, and I was like, yes. I burn mine. <laughs> I make copies. My journals are beautiful because <laughs> I make copies of them. So I, I burn mine as an offering on <laughs> my releasing ceremonies. I don't think I have anything. So I said, I guess it's going to be an opportunity for me to do that all again. <laughs> you did all everything in all three journals? Yes. Oh, wow. We go. I was ambitious the first time. <laughs> you know? Well, it shows. <laughs> it shows. Like some of it carried over into the second year, but mainly the first and part of the first this year, I have. Well, we can talk about it. We can talk about it. Yeah, I've never had anybody tell me they did that. So, well, I didn't know I needed to keep that stuff. Yeah, yeah. To me, you release it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I was, as I was listening to you um, and, the, and Jennifer's response, I, I was thinking of my session with Lana yesterday because one of the things that was so helpful, as I said already yesterday, was that she provided this structure that was very containing because I could have probably talked for four hours if unrestrained. And so I'm thinking of the woman for two hours. You're in a little different situation because there's an agreement that I'm having with Lana. But, But she did provide that, which was, it's not just that it shut me up. It's that it helped me get more focused and then guide me to, to the deeper healing. which And then I thought when you were talking about your shop, I thought that the woman that cuts my hair said, how do you do it? Because pe- you know, people talk to their hairdressers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. Everything I said, you know, I have it much easier. She said, how do you do what you do? And I said, because there's a certain agreement with, when they're coming to my office with here. You have no agreement with them. They're just telling you every, yeah. everything that, you know, I keep turning up my hair dryer. <laughs> and so I was thinking, you know, 
if this woman, if you offered her a session, like if Jennifer, I think, was talking about the sessions, exactly. it's like, it would, yes. you know, right. shall we take that into a session? Yeah. Right. Because you're offering her a lot. Right. Well, yes, that, that was exactly part of what I was, um, and again, you know, um, I just want to be clear that if you are in the certification program, uh, if it's not my referral, charge whatever you like to charge, that's fine, you know. Um, and I do feel that there's benefit. I, I wanted to do this once and then I just didn't have time for it. I wanted to do a kind of a Joel Goldsmith thing, and, but I was going to put an ad in the paper and say, um, spiritual counseling on a donation basis. Uh, any kind of donation you can bring, money or something from your garden or, you know, something like that. And just have a, a, like a day, a week that I just took sessions like that. Um, but I, because I was in a, up in, on the island in Maine and I thought that would be beneficial. But um, I just, I, I remember I had too many other things to do. I never got to do that. But I, I've always thought that that would be a great, uh, be a, an enjoyable thing for me to do, um, and a great way to spread the word, you know, if you feel confident. Um, and even if you don't feel confident, if you feel confident in God and you're willing to rest in God, then, you know, it, it will. And, and the books, if you'd like to read it about Joel Goldsmith's um, life, I highly recommend it. It's called The Spiritual Journey of Joel S. Goldsmith. And it's by Lorraine Sinclair. And there's some YouTube stuff on it as well. Mm. To, where you can the, listen to it. The Spiritual Journey of Joel S. Goldsmith. And it's mostly taken from his letters and lectures. So Lorraine Sinclair was his uh, secretary for like 30 years. Mm. So she's the biographer, but it's mostly in his own words. And... Um, Towards the end of his life, he really became um, obsessed in a way that didn't seem healthy at all for him. And I think there's some lessons in that, too. I, it, I think he kind of moved into a space where he was forgetting that God does hmm. um, So one thing I, I would recommend to you where you have this facility is that you do something like you have certain hours that maybe the store is closed unless you have someone who can do the store for you. Right. Where you, do you have a space in the store you could do? Yeah, I actually have um, like office hours that are separate from the time right. I have an employee. Yeah, great. So, I mean, the shop's been open this whole time. I'm yeah, going. yeah, yeah. It's like great to go back and then yeah. and like, oh my God, I'm <laughs> but do promote that. That you're going to be offering spiritual counseling yeah. and write up a brochure, a flyer about yeah. it. You know what it is and what it's not. And right. I'm happy to help right. you with that. That's what it's not. Yeah. And um, yeah. And I, I I wrote a description of what spiritual counseling is for everyone that they can use on their websites okay. and things like that. So yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. Uh, I think be a great service in your community, and um, and you can say you know I'm doing a special offer for you know the next rest of the, for the summer or something. Right. right. You know. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah.
<laughs> and you can do all kinds of things. Like you can say, you know, my sessions are going to be you know, $50 an hour or $100 an hour, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, um, but if you um, buy one, I'll give you a second one for free. Or, you know, feel free to, you know, right. find ways to encourage people to make the commitment. And I have found that people who purchase packages don't always use them. So while you might be thinking, boy, I'm really discounting my services here, some of the people won't use them all. Yeah. And it kind of evens out. But I think when we offer discounts and packages, it, it depends. You have, you have to really think, am I doing this to get money? Because if you're doing it to get money, check yourself, go and pray. Because you don't ever wish for your clients to be your source of supply of money. Yes. Because then you'll be thinking, how can I get them to book another session? And, oh, that's just, mm-hmm. that's really codependency. It's not good at all. So that's why the approach I take is, whatever this issue is that the person is bringing to me, one session is all that they will need. They will have a complete and total healing on this issue, yeah. and they'll never need to come back unless they find another issue they'd like help with. Yeah. But I never want to have the thought in my head that, oh, this is going to take a lot of sessions to... No, 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 no. Because we're doing spiritual healing, which is different from other kinds of coaching and counseling. Yeah. So, you, would, you, would you say that even if, like, it might appear that you're getting your income from your clients on yeah. the outside, then it would still... Well, it's, it's, it's how you hold it in your mind. Right. So, for instance, um, I, 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 obviously, I take my salary from the ministry. The ministry um, has classes for sale. It has... I do counseling sessions, and uh, we take donations. But I don't look at any student in my class is paying my salary. I don't look at any right. counseling client as my source of income. Right. Yeah. I, I, I really, it's God is my source. And I, it, I, it's proved to me all the time because people will give me things or they'll give me discounts on things or they'll give me come stay at my house. Right. You know, different things will happen that provide what otherwise I would have to pay for. So there's just so many ways that God is my provider. Yeah. And, um, and I, I really realized that everything I receive, I receive from God. So whether you're giving it to me, or somebody else is giving it to me, or however it comes to me, whether I find a hundred dollar bill on the street, it's all coming from God. Yeah. And um, I I really like that because then I can give to anyone and I'm giving back to God. You know, and so, and I don't have to give to get. I'm just always giving where I feel called to give. That was such a life-transforming realization to me because I used to be in this space of, because uh, clients would come to me. I had my rate, and I think when I started in... 2,000 seeing clients, I think my rate was $80 for 90 minutes. And then um, I 
maybe after a year or so, I raised it to $100 for 90 minutes. And at that time, my teacher was charging $100 a session. And there was a part of me, like my, my guidance was, you need to charge $100 for this. And I thought, my teacher? I only graduated a year ago. My teacher is charging $100. And I got, and you're to charge $100. You're worth $100. Charge $100. And, but I always said to my clients, um, money is not going to ever be an obstacle. And I've had many clients that said, I can only pay $5 or $2 or, you know, I have this thing that's worth something. Can I give you that? Um, and I, I never said no. Or I, and and I, I never let it bother me. Now, I have situations where sometimes I'll do some counseling for somebody at no charge or a low charge. But I don't really promote that because I have a ministry to run. And so, and now I can refer people out to the, the counselors that I've trained and I feel really good about them. So I say, you know, go here, go there, rather than come to me. And now I charge $300 for a 90-minute session. And I charge $300 really to discourage people from asking me. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. And it works. Yeah. Yeah. Because if my sessions were fifty dollars, I would just have I'd be booked at all And it's it's I'd rather be teaching. I'd rather teach counselors than counsel myself. Just because I feel I'm being more effective with my time. If you were charging 50, then your students wouldn't be getting any of the business. They don't know what to do. Yeah, that's another thing, too, is I do wish my students to have, uh, and I, what I, one of the things I love all the time is hearing from people who are in Finding Freedom and Magical Living. I've been working this counsel, with this counselor that you're training, and that's just so wonderful. Mm-hmm. So wonderful. And they tell me how good they are. What really spoke to my heart is you described, I guess, many times that that moment when you thought, I'm, I'm only going to work, I've been working for love. Yeah. Like when, I don't know, that went right to my heart yeah. to hear that language of only working for love. Yeah. That's it then. Yeah, that was around, um, if I remember correctly, I was on, I, I, for 10 years I went on the news retreat with Reverend Michael. And um, I think I'm going to do, I did a New Year's retreat last year, and it was great. I think I'm going to do, keep doing them. I like being New Year's with my family, but boy, it's so transformational. Wow. You know, people are just so ready to rip off that old year, <laughs> get a new year, make it new, do it differently. I just loved it. So... Um, So, um, yeah, I should book that, put that on my calendar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. um, so, um, what was I saying? You 
said you go, you went on Michael's. I went over Michael's retreat for ten years, and I think it was the 1999 to 2000 year. And so I'd be in this it was a silent meditation retreat. So I'd be in this contemplation for days and silent meditation. And I really got to, to set my intention for the year 2000 to um, work only for love, to stop working for money, to work only for love, and to live without fear, those two things. And um, I remember he said to me when I, I told him what my intention was for 2000, he said, money is the shadow that comes with love. You know, it's like... When you, when you do that, money will surely come. And if I remember correctly, within a couple of months, you know, maybe it was later, maybe it was 2004 or five. anyway, whatever it was, within a couple of months, I got offered a job that was the highest paying job I've ever, ever had. It was a six-figure job. I'd never broken six figures. We came right away. It's the fear part. For some reason, I wasn't kind of tuning into that because I feel like I've always worked for love ever since I was sure. <laughs> this big. But the but the fear about not having enough money was always right. commingled with yeah. that. So I have to like make sure, okay, I can only take this many Medi-Cal because if I if I I have to have this many people that right. pay me full fees so I can afford to. That's you right. know, it was the fear part that's so... Yeah. That, thank you, that's really helpful. Yeah, and, and, and I really decided to stop managing it. Yeah. And that's really how I endeavor to live my life now, is to stop managing it. It's like you're watching me, my teaching style. I don't have any notes. I don't really know what will transpire in each session and I don't know that I'll cover exactly the same things that I've covered in the past I don't know but it doesn't matter because I know it will be perfect it will be perfectly designed for you and your clients to come and I've so learned to trust that because when I first started out teaching I had all this preparation and I always prepared far too much that I could do in the class or the workshop and then I would feel like, oh, we got to hurry up, and oh my God, we're not going to get it all done, and, and I wasn't relaxed, and, and I was not fully present. So, it's like when I was in ministerial school, and they were teaching me how to give a talk, we had to prepare these different talks, a three-minute talk, a five-minute talk, a ten-minute talk, like that, and we had to have it written out, we had to deliver it as we'd written it, and we had to turn it in. And I did that while I was in class, and I never did it ever again. Because I, I hated it. I would be nervous talking, and I'd be looking at the paper, and new ideas and thoughts would be coming in, and I'm like, I can't do that. I have to stick to what I've written. Ugh, I just hated it. Terrible. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, so we got the mirror. Let me go back here. Come back to this, but I'd like to come back to this. Oh, back to this? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Just trying to decide. Yeah, because yeah, we're going to go to 1230, so take your, take your time. Let's take a 10-minute bathroom break.
can share something with you. Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, this is after we had our session in council with me, and then um, we were talking in the class yesterday about um, why your husband may be reluctant and what your story was and So I just want to share something from, from my own life. And when I met my husband, he wasn't a host. So we decided just to be friends. And, and then the divorce was settled. I thought you were doing PQ there. Trying to stretch out my lower back. Oh, yeah. And what I realized was he needed. I feel like I need to stretch my legs like all the time. Mm -hmm. He was kind of sitting. I I, uh, used to uh, date an astrologer, and uh, she would tell me that uh, that I was a highly Sagittarian straight. A trait. I'm actually a Scorpio, but I I have have like a ton of other planets and Sagittarians, and apparently the legs are the Sagittarius. Thing. I'm a very and ugly, like, touchy, loving, emotional person. I receive love because my mind is in the terms of Very happy home. 
Yes, I saw very clearly <laughs> what was going on in my prima donna way, you know. <laughs> I got it. But yeah, I, I can appreciate that, so thank you for sharing that. I can appreciate what you're saying. It's, it's a different story. <laughs> yeah, well, I think there's a lot of truth in that. <laughs> I don't tell myself stories anymore. Yeah. <laughs> we do. That's the way we're made, you know. It makes it feel better, at least. It makes you feel better, you know. It's just a story. That's right. <laughs> That's right. There's the same as that. That's so true. And you know, a lot of the people that keep going. That keeps going. It's too funny. Ding, ding, ding. And it's, if I'm a king, says, that's your best teacher. From this fundamental belief that I am fundamentally deaf, from this 
basic premise, we build a wall of separation from our, our God self. So it's if this, then that. So since I'm fundamentally bad, I'm less than others. Since I'm fundamentally bad, I'm not good enough. Since I'm fundamentally bad, even if it can be, I'm better than believe it or not. Um, since I'm fundamentally bad, I'm special, I'm broken, I'm damaged. But it can also be like, no one will. Oops. You know, and it's, uh, it can be, no one will uh, marry me. Because I'm fundamentally bad, I'm sick. Can't be healed. I'll never have a great career. Loser. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll always be unhappy. Yeah, it's 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 also I'll never be happy. Oh, right, yeah. I, I really think it's uh, it's both. But I tend to hear it more as this. It's because, you know what it is? I'm so glad you said that, Angel. Because you know what it is? The ego thought system is always one of lack and limitations. So rather than I'll always be unhappy, it's more I'll never have what I want. It'll always be in lack and limitation. So those are more likely to be the things that will bother people. It's not just that I'll always be unhappy. It's that I'll never have happiness. They're the same thing in a certain sense, but the way the ego looks at everything, it's always deprivation, lack, and limitation. Always, always, always. In that, in that future state, in that mess, is that like, I'm not happy now. Yeah, like, I'm not happy now, but I'm never going to be happy. Yeah. And not now, but I'm not doing yeah. that. I'm doomed. I'm doomed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So the reason I, I like to look at it this way visually is because in, in my classes, in my work, instead of trying to help people with these bricks, I say, let's just take this out and then the whole wall comes crumbling down. That's where I, that's where I have been successful, is transforming misbelief and then all of this stuff in my life began to heal when I focused on this one belief. And the truth is that we are fundamentally good. That's the truth. And all we have to do is be willing to remember the truth in order to have freedom. So we don't have to figure out how to prove it. We don't have to figure out how to bring it into form. We just have to be willing to say, I don't like this thought anymore. I'm going to replace it with this thought. You know, and it's, it's like if you had, let's say, uh, someone who's short, right, and keeps looking at it as I'm not tall enough, I'm not tall, looking at it that way. Instead, it, say, it says, you know, uh, I'm the perfect size for me. It's changing, swapping the thought out. You know, it's like I used to take yoga a lot in living in, in the Hollywood, West Hollywood area, you know, where everybody in my yoga class was, you know, in the movies, in the film business, and um, had these spectacular bodies, and they could do handstands and all that stuff, and I wasn't able to do a lot of that. I didn't have the same kind of a body, but I would just say, I can do that. Maybe not today, but I, I could still do it. I, I wouldn't sit there and go, I can't do that. Because I didn't like that feeling, like, I can't do that. So it's, it's really valuable to know that your clients are going to be coming with all these kinds of beliefs. It's always lack of limitation, and it's always predicated on some version of I'm fundamentally bad. I'm not good enough, something's wrong with me, I don't deserve, I'm unworthy, some version of fundamentally bad. And to help them see their fundamental goodness. And the best way to really understand your fundamental goodness is to see it in someone else. As long as you can't see it in anyone else, you won't be able to fully recognize it in yourself. You know, and that's why this whole election thing has been so bringing stuff up for people. Because no matter how you feel, who you like and don't like, if you're really in that place of these people are bad, these people are terrible, these people are wrong, then uh, and versus their thinking, thinking that they themselves are evil or bad or wrong, then you won't be able to see your own innate goodness. And you were suffering. And people are suffering. Yeah. So, what do you want to say about the transform, transmute? On the other page, the page before. Ask me the question again. The page before the brick wall, you had written down uh, transform, transmute, transcend, but I don't think you went into it, what you were going to say about it. Um, 
This is, this is what we're doing with the, with the thoughts that cause the problems. So rather than trying to work in the world of form and to figure things out and solve problems, we're transforming, transmuting, and transcending the problems. Thank you. Through shifting our thinking. Yeah. Can you give an example of doing that? Yeah. Sure. Let me just take a moment. All right. So um, this is one of the sort of most perfect examples from my own counseling career. So I had a client come, and they... uh, They had an issue of um, hoarding uh, and having a really messy house. And for two decades, they had never let anybody into their house because they didn't want anybody to know what was happening in their house. And it was very, very compulsive. And they saw, he saw how limited his life was because of it. And he at the time he was overweight, uh, not very appealing in the way that he dressed. And uh, he, he said that he had never told anyone about this problem, never discussed it with anyone. But he felt that I could help him, and he was willing to do something different. So he came to me, and um, I think it may have been an hour into the session before he said, what was he really there for? So he wasn't, you know, he was feeling that he had career issues. He really wasn't shining his light in his career. And, um, and then finally he said, and I've got this other issue, and I'd like to be in a relationship. I'd like to meet a woman. I'd like to get married. I'd like to have a different life than I have, and I don't know how to do that. Well... As the 90-minute end-of-session time came, I really got, don't stop, keep going. So I did. And so at about the two-hour mark, he said, I don't know what time it is, and I don't know how much this is costing. And I said, look, I feel like we can have a real breakthrough here if we keep going. I don't care about the time. And I honestly, I do not care about the money because you are not the source of my abundance. So whatever you can plan to pay or feel you can afford to pay for this session, that's fine. But I would like to keep going until we feel complete. And I'm all in if you are. And he said, okay. He was uncomfortable, like, well, you know, and 
the money and you deserve. And I was like, just let God take care of it, really. Just let God take care of it. And you pay what you, you can afford. And, um, but I'm all in for this. You know, I'm really, let's do this. And uh, it's really the only time I ever did that. You know, I felt it, but it was never like, but we, I think we went for four hours, three or four hours. And um, I felt the healing happen. And then three months later, I happened to run into him. And he looked totally different. He had lost weight. He was dressed really nicely. He told me about his new job. He had his dream job. And that he had totally cleaned up his house. And it was a miraculous healing. And that's what I said to him in the session. I'm going for a total miraculous healing. That this issue will be resolved today. And it will never be a problem for you again in the future. And it was. Now, here's the interesting thing. Maybe an hour or so after the session was done, I got a phone call from a colleague that I was involved in this other kind of um, coaching uh, sales thing that had residual uh, referrals where you would just um, uh, do a couple of things for the client each year, and if they renewed, you got the commission, right? She said, I've got like 150 clients in this. I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to transfer all my clients to you. And it was, and those clients were my clients for years. And I got thousands of dollars in, in commissions from those clients that I had to do very, very little for. For years, I got thousands of dollars from those clients. No doubt, the woman who gave me that business, she was thinking, who will I give this to? And thought of her colleagues. And God, in that moment, made me seem bright and shiny. And the one to do it. But perhaps, if I had had a different approach with my counseling client, and said, you know, well... At, you know, like an hour and 20 minutes, you know, I'm, I'm, we're about out of time, and, you know, or whatever, and said my fee is, you know, whatever, and they had felt bad, because who knows if things had gone completely differently. I, I'm convinced that, and it says, so that happened to me, because I really wanted to understand how God works. I really... Uh, was so interested in really understanding with my whole being that there's one mind and everything is working together for my good without exception. And that my job is simply to recognize the opportunities to give and receive in each and every moment. And to never think that I give you this so then you have to give me that. I mean, obviously, I'm giving you this experience. You're giving, you're paying the money to come, but and so we do make those exchanges in business. You know, you buy the car, you pay the money. Of course, we have that system in our world, but I don't want to look at my counseling clients as my paycheck. And so, you know, I I really was interested in proving that I don't need to. I don't need to. 
I can let that go. Because in the beginning, I, I was thinking, you know, really, how can I get more clients to get more money? I was thinking that. But it didn't make me happy. I didn't like it. It didn't feel good. And it didn't feel, like, expansive. It didn't feel like there was a flow to it. So in that session, that, that was the experience of transformation, transcendence, transmuting all those thoughts and beliefs. Now, can I tell you how, you know, did I do it? No, but I knew it could be done. And I held the space of we cannot fail. We cannot fail. We can decide not to go for it, but if we decide to go for it, we cannot fail. Because we're not doing it, we're allowing it. And so my job in that moment was to get my client to allow it. And my willingness to sit with him for four hours got him to allow it. And of course he came in the door with this great willingness. You know? But, you know, and probably not a whole lot of belief that this one session would change his life. But he changed his life. You know, I, I hear so many people tell me all the time, you know, I listen to your radio show, you've changed my life. I'm like... I, I, I didn't change your life. You changed your life. I changed my life, and I told you about it, and then you took what you learned and you heard from your higher self pointing the way to transform your own life. But I don't transform anybody's life but my own. When you have that clarity, you're not responsible for their healing. You're not responsible for making this happen. You can't, even if you wanted to take responsibility for it, you're simply saying yes to it and seeing no obstacles. And that's where it can be difficult for you as the counselor. You know, because like I said, I've had people come, I mean, you know, decades of hoarding and living that way in fear. But I knew it could, I knew we wouldn't need another session. Why would we? It was just a thought. It was just a thought. We could expose that thought for the lie that it was, and there would be no need to keep that behavior going. What is the difference between transform and transmute? You know... that you could transmute feels more like an alchemy to me, like uh, turning lead into gold. But you could apply the world word transform to uh, uh, lead into gold alchemy. You could say it was transformed into gold. Or you, transmutation to me it feels more like um, another being become is that what you're saying? Say that again, Sam? That the person becomes another being altogether. I would say more that they drop the um, false identification with the one who has the problem. 
We're transforming, transmuting, and transcending those identifications. The false identifications with the one, the false identification in here. Okay. That's what's being transformed, transmuted, and transcended. When you wrote, I was thinking after you gave those examples, I was kind of thinking the trans, to me, I'm transforming, I thought of the kind of thoughts being transformed. So when you hit, you know, what are you thinking about what's going on? That's kind of that, that's the first thing that transforms, which for transmute, for me, I think of the energy, which to me, I guess, could be kind of the same level. The transmuting is kind of more on that beliefs level, kind of transmute, and that allows you to, you know, rise above and transcend those limitations mm-hmm. that you have. That's just how I saw it when you wrote mm-hmm. it, for whatever reason. I yeah, I think if you were to look it up in Webster's Dictionary, you know, if you think of the word mutate, you know, it's when something mutates, so you transmute. It becomes something else. But really, that's true of transformation, too. Transcendence is you're obviously rising above. So you have a lower vibration, you're transcending that to a higher vibration, a higher awareness, uh, a truth awareness. It's real. It's really a, it's a subtle difference, but it, there's a difference. You know, when I look at transform, I think of what the, you know, the kids have those... Transformers, and then it'll look like mm-hmm. a man, and then they can make it look into look like right. a, a car or a, a you know a tank or something. Mm-hmm. Right. So we can transform so it's this all the same yes. material there, but they're just manipulating it another way. Right. So we can transform this this meditation hall into a banquet hall. Right. But we wouldn't transmute it. Right. So transmutation is more on a cellular level. Yeah. Is what I think. You know, and I think of your experience of, I remember when you came to the forgiveness retreat last fall, and we've talked about this a few times, you've talked about it in class, that I remember you reached in your purse to get something and you pulled out that bottle of Excedrin. Mm-hmm. And you want to tell people just a little bit? Yeah. I had an issue for, I don't know, for, it feels like forever that, you know, one of the first things I do in the morning is get up, grab my Red Bull, get my bottle of Advil, you know, <laughs> that's how I started my day, Red Bull and Advil, you know. And I never went anywhere without Advil, Excedrin, you know, in my purse. It was everywhere, stashed everywhere, in my desk, in my purse, in my car. Um, I'm going on a trip because I had this thing with my neck and um, my shoulder and part of my back that it just always hurt, you know, and it didn't stop me from doing things, but it was always there. And that was going on for so many years, it was just part of my life. You know, I'd go to chiropractor and massage, and it just was who, how it was. And... Um, I was listening to uh, one of those classes, one of your classes, and I went to go grab a pen out of my purse <laughs> to take a note or something, and my hand pulled out this bottle of Excedrin, and I just sat there and thought for a minute, I have not taken 
any Advil at all for how long? And I sat and I started thinking, when was the last time I actually took it? It had been months already, and I didn't even had not even realized that I had stopped taking it and wasn't hurting. And it was after the retreat that I had gone to there. Um, it was at the retreat that you had the realization. Yes. And um, but and I remember you said that at that time, as you said, "Oh my God, I just realized that my chronic pain disappeared." I didn't even like realize a couple that. months ago. <laughs> and I, this was October, and you were like, "I I think it's been since early September." Yeah. And, and you hadn't even realized it. And you also, I asked you, how long had you had the chronic pain? And you said, three to four years. Yeah, a long time. And you told me that you got the big Advils and et cetera. You said Costco because you just went through so <laughs> just much. just kept refilling my little bottles. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And you can see the big bottles in my pantry, you know. And everybody that knew me, they come to me for their Advil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and I don't even know when it happened. I don't know how it happened. Obviously, I know how, but I, it wasn't in my awareness that I was trying to heal it. Right. It wasn't something I was working on. Yeah. Many times at the end of the year in Masterful Living, as people are talking with me, they'll say, you know, I just realized, and they'll tell me about some physical healing, something like that. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, I haven't thought of it. Wow. How could I not realize that? Yeah, but that's, it's, this is what's happening. It's alchemical, you know. And um, to me, you, you know, in August, right, you had the experience of losing your business and your home to the flood. And all your relatives. Yeah, we lost everything. You know, yeah. Everybody I knew, except for a couple. And so you were practicing forgiveness day in and day out, all day long, dealing with all the aftermath of that. And I know that's what healed your chronic pain, was letting go of all the beliefs and thoughts. Because, you know, because, and this is why I feel this is so important, it's because... Every time you forgive, you're working on this. So every time you forgive, you know, the one whose dog poops on your lawn, or, you know, whatever it is, the person who ignored you, or whatever the thing is, you let those judgments go. You're, every time you stop harboring something against yourself or someone else, you are eroding this belief of fundamentally bad. And you're moving towards fundamentally good. Because if you, if you didn't forgive, you would be, it would be because you're clinging to the fundamentally bad. Why would you forgive? They're fundamentally bad. You need to remember that all the time and not get um, uh, confused and not get, um, what's the word? Uh, tricked into thinking that they're not fundamentally bad or you're not fundamentally bad because you will be crushed like a bug if you let this go, right? That's what the ego is telling us all the time. But every time we release a judgment, which is what true forgiveness is, every time you release a judgment, 
you are detaching from this idea and you are, this is already there, this is already the truth of our being. You can see it more clearly and feel it more clearly every time you let go of that thought. So that's why your clients are going to want you to work at the level of form with them. You know? And you, if you can just keep bringing them back to it's their thoughts, their judgments. And everyone's different. So you have to do it, you know, as you're led and guided. You can't do it like a formula. You can't. Like with this client that was the hoarder, one of the things I said to them was, I know that all this stuff in your life, it's all one, it's all based on one thought. You know, that you're not good enough to have a great life. And it's all a manifestation of that. But you are good enough to have a great life. Everyone is. I know that. And I said, deep down, you know it too, which is why you're here. So we know it together, and that's all that needs to happen for this to be transformed. And they were willing to believe me. And I knew it. I had no doubt. And that's all it takes is one person to have no doubt. So that's why when we're counseling, we have to rely on God and not our own thoughts and beliefs. And we just keep saying, God is doing this miraculously and I get to watch. I get to participate. I am being healed by my participation with this client. This client has come to help me too. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because the temptation is to think, oh my God, I have to help them. They can't just be helping me. There's only one. As I am lifted up, all will be drawn unto me. They'll all be lifted up too. You know, and the ego will find all kinds of ways to get in there and mess with your mind. And you really have to say, get thee behind me. I am not going there. There's no place in this space for those thoughts. Have you ever worked with people that have cancer? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you have to be very, very gentle because, you know, they're experiencing so many things that we don't even know about um, on all levels, which is why the cancer is there, so that they can have a healing on all levels, physically, emotionally, mentally, etherically. And that they can also demonstrate that in ways that will lift everyone around them. And I can say that I, I've worked with a number of women who had breast cancer. And I've gently asked them all, do you think in your life that you are either an overgiver or an overreceiver. And they're like, oh my God, I don't receive anything. I just give and give and give and give. And I, and I say, can you see that energetically? You're giving, 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 and not receiving, and you're out of balance. And if, if you just correct that and become a good receiver, 
You don't have to modify your giving so much. But you can look at, are you giving to get anything? And can you be a receiver? Because when people have cancer, they instantly have to become a much better receiver. Because they need people to care for them. They need to receive the care. They need to receive people cooking for them and taking them to the doctor and sitting with them, you know, when they're in chemo and past chemo and all that stuff. So they, the cancer forces them to become a good receiver. So that's one way that I've, I've seen um, can really help particularly women with breast cancer to not relapse and to move through it with ease and grace and just say, so this is your curriculum. Your curriculum now is to become a really great receiver and to, to look at any place where you feel like, oh, this is too much, they're having me too much, that I, you know, I don't feel comfortable, I feel much more comfortable being the giver. Instead of just feeling uncomfortable with all that, Every time it comes, it's triggered for you to really say, this is my healing. This is my healing. And is there a part of this that relates to that too? The, the, I'm not good enough or I'm not enough? Do you think? Well, here's the thing. If, if someone's overgiving, they're giving to get. Why else would they be overgiving? Right? They're giving to get stuff in return. If you feel fundamentally good, why would you be overgiving? That helps. Yeah, because if if you're if you're overgiving, it's you're trying to compensate for something. You're trying to manipulate. Those kinds of things are going on. And so every time you are giving where you're not really feeling guided to give, you're trying to feel better about yourself in some way, then you are feeding that fire of something's missing, that people aren't going to love you unless you give to them. You know, and it's, it's, it's not the same exact thing as a martyr complex, so the and we see a lot of martyrs, men, women, both. And so the martyr complex is: has anybody had a martyr, like someone who really lived like a martyr in their family, or have you ever done that? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Right. Got So what are some of the characteristics of that that martyr complex? How does it play out? You go first. Look what I did for you. What are you going to do for me? Okay. Yeah, that's giving to get. And so when it's a true martyr, um, there's a little bit different spin on it emotionally. Um, Usually it's, uh, well, my sister is is, uh, definitely someone. Has kind of lived in that way, and often she will kind of. She, you just pick up a little. Yeah, she never expects anyone to give her anything. She feels like the entire weight of the world is on her, in that she's responsible for not only doing everything for herself, but 
basically saving the world. Like, no one else is going to take care of this. No one else is going to take care of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, there is some, like, resentment that other people don't take on more, mm-hmm. but she doesn't expect them to because mm-hmm. it's her job. Mm-hmm. And do you have any sense of um, what the, why that's so appealing to her? Um, that mindset? Yeah, I mean, she was the oldest, and she kind of got forced into a caretaking world, like, really early on. Mm-hmm. And I think that she it, it kind of was put on her early that, like, that's what her job was. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely there is the whole idea of her, like, there's something wrong with her, you know, that, and wrong with the world. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it would have to... It would have to be her because there's no other choice, and because and, and because she's a good person, she does those things. What's her payoff? Uh, Being noble. Most yeah. of the time, what? the payoff yeah. that I see with with. I have a sister-in-law that I'm thinking of. That, you know, she can say, look at all this. Mm-hmm. I've done all this. Right. Like, you know, poor me. It's a false way of rewarding yourself. Mm-hmm. It feels so real for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like righteousness. Yeah, and you can't ever feel sorry enough. Mm-hmm. Can't ever feel sorry enough, or you know what? what can you do? Yeah, they're always going to outgive you. Mm-hmm. Why would people want to outgive you? And that's what you were talking about, Sue. How can anybody criticize you if you if you just That's right. right. Yeah, you're beyond reproach. Perfect. Otherwise, why would they dedicate their whole life to enslavement, right? In order to prove that they're worthy of your love. It, it is a kind of it's a uh, uh, enslavement. to compensate for the fundamental badness. It's instead of all those bricks, nobody's gonna love me, I'll never get a good job. They just they just start compensating. 
Oh, no, I'm going to do, do, do so that people will love me. I'll do, do, do so that people will respect me. I'll do, 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 do so nobody, I'm above reproach, etc. I've often wondered if Mother Teresa was a martyr. Why? Because, you know, the the whole Catholic um, emphasis on um, suffering, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. I um, I don't know a lot about Mother Teresa. Um, one story I love about Mother Teresa, I think Wayne Dyer told this story on a retreat I went on with him. Mm-hmm. And um, he said that Mother Teresa was on a radio show, talk show, radio talk show. And uh, towards the end of the talk show, the host said... We, we would like to um, tell people how they can support your ministry. We'd like to support your ministry. Tell us how to do that, Mother Teresa. And she said, you don't need to do anything. And they're like, no, no, no. You know, your work is so important and good in the world. We really want to support it. So how can we do that? And she was like, really? You don't need to do anything. And the, the host was insistent, you know, please let us know. What can we do? And she said, well, if you really would like to do something, get up at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and go out in your neighborhood and see who is sleeping on the street and see if you can comfort them and bring them some, some assistance and comforting. And you just know the host was thinking... And we're thinking who to make the checkout to. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the website with the donate button on it? So we, no, nobody wants to get up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning on the doorstep. Good Lord. Right? But um, I, I do remember reading somewhere that Mother Teresa became a nun because she, I, I seem to recall she was riding on a bus one day and she had this rage that came up. And she, the rage was so intensely that she felt, you know, that it really frightened her. And so she became a nun in order to uh, transform that, to um, keep her from acting out from it. And then I was on a retreat with Jean Houston once, and she knew Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa... She asked her, you know, how is it that you can just give and give and give and give so much, Mother Teresa? And she said, well, you have to understand that my beloved gives so much to me. And I see the face of my beloved in everyone I meet. And I just can never outgive my beloved. And I just see my beloved in everyone. So I just wish to give to my beloved everywhere I go. It is beautiful. It feels true to me, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that, that is what Jesus taught, you know. It's, you know, what you do to the least of them, you do I to have some tapes of, I think they were her speaking, and what it was all about was her 
listening to her guidance and being in touch with her guidance, which I think was important to me at the time was probably why I was listening. How how is this happening? You know, how do you how are you doing that? And this has been a while back, so I ha- it's a vague thing, but that was to me that would be the difference between a martyr and what she was doing in her life was I'm listening to the guidance. I'm listening to Holy Spirit or God or whatever her voice was telling. That that to me was the the true difference of, which is huge. It's way different than I'm doing this to be mm-hmm. to get something or to compensate for something. Mm-hmm. Because that, you know, that's what we're, we're about now. We're not doing this for ego anymore or for some small gain that won't mean anything. You know, we're doing it to hear. That's right. Hear this voice of spirit right. instead of hearing that ego voice. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I can honestly attest that the more I let the judgments go, which is true forgiveness, the more clearly I, I feel and hear and sense and see and know the guidance in all the ways that it comes, and I recognize it. And the, the great thing that I get to teach and share is that when you really are willing to follow the guidance, to honor the guidance, then you get more of it, more of it, more of it. And, of course, you can't follow the guidance and cling to your judgments simultaneously. You have to choose one or the other. And so if you keep choosing to let the judgments go and to follow the guidance, those two things, it's like working, um, it's like... um, In my Finding Freedom class, I talk about having a spiritual budget, you know, and that if you, uh, if you would like to, um, you know, if you'd like, if you're in the red, right, and you're you're deficit spending, there are two ways to transform that quickly. You can employ one or both. Right. So, what's what? If you're deficit spending, what's one way to? Bring that to a halt. Reduce spending. Reduce your spending. And what's the other way? Increase your income. Increase your income. Right. So it's the same thing with, so forgiveness decreases your debt, right? And being loving increases your income. And so if you're working both sides of that budget all day long, the healing happens so fast. And, um, but you know, um, I, I tell this story, uh, I have a video of it um, that I, I have, I think it's part of the, well, it's, I think it's just on YouTube. So I, I had this mug, okay, and I think this is me. Um, I had this mug, and I, I was getting ready to go speak at church, because I used to have my own community on Sunday morning, and um, later in the day, I was, uh, was going to do something with David Hoffmeister, and I... I was just thinking about all the things I needed for the whole day. And I was running a bit late, right? So I was going into the shower to get ready to go to church. And so I went into the kitchen and I filled my mug with coffee and milk. 
And I went into the bathroom, and I put it down on the counter, and I, I um, you know, got into the shower. And as I was putting it, putting it down on the counter, I very heard, clearly heard intuition that said, put, put the lid on the cup. And I thought it was like the coffee's going to get cold by the time you come out of the shower and everything. Keep it hot and put the lid on it. So I said, I, I don't have time to go back to the kitchen for the lid. So then I get out of the shower. The cup is on the counter. And I'm toweling off. And I hit that cup. <laughs> and it went all over the wall. Just <laughs> <laughs> <was> like... <laughs> And I just looked at it and I said, see, I thought I knew what the lid was for. <laughs> but I did not know. Because I thought I knew what the lid was for, I did not get the lid. But Spirit told me, what the, just get the lid. Don't, you know, just get the lid. Now, I could have said, what's the lid for? But I thought I knew what the lid was for. You see? But that's so I've had spirit teach me a thousand, hundred thousand times like that, where I thought I knew what I, but I was wrong. And then have we all got experiences like that? Yes. Right? That's the exact same one. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I it right off the counter, and then I was like, now I'm going to be your kid and the floor. Yeah. So then I was really like, because I had coffee with milk in it. And I was not going to be back all day long, so I like had to get all that off the wall, right? Yeah, I yeah. I'm saving time. I'm saving time. The coffee will cool when I'm in the shower, yeah. perfectly down, so that it's really drinkable. Yeah, <laughs> be fine. Yeah, so it's it's on the floor. it's really that, and there are many times when we'll get a prompting to do something that seems pointless or innocuous. But if we can't listen to those things, then we won't listen to the things that will really change our life. We just won't. We'll discount them too. So uh, I just feel blessed that when I do things like that, I have a perfect teaching example. We can all laugh about it. And even in that moment, I didn't berate myself or anything like that. Because I've learned, I've had thousands of times when I did not follow the guidance that was clearly given to me, I arrogantly said, no, I'm going to do it my way, you know, and then I had my learning about, what, you know, well, you said you wanted an easier way, so we're trying to provide you with an easier <laughs> way, but then you reject it because you think you know, so... But then I have something I can teach about where people can see and relate to and it makes sense to them. But that's the thing is, if you really think of your thoughts as being some kind of spiritual coin that you're investing in, are you investing in your poverty or are you investing in your wealth? Right? Spiritual poverty or spiritual wealth. Every thought's one or the other. It's just there's no... There's just, and it's really cut and dry. It's really black and white. There's no gray area in God. You know, it's either a loving or it's unloving. You're connecting, you're disconnecting. There's no gray area. None. So we, we, we learn to really, instead of depending upon our own 
analysis to just keep going to God. What am I to do here? You know, and the more we do it, what am I to eat today? Where am I to go today? What am I to do today? Who am I to talk with? Because you then you begin to figure out how much of your life is just lived by rote. You know, when I get in the car to make this drive, I call my mother. You know, get that done. But maybe you're not supposed to call your mother now, or you know what I mean? It's just add so many things that we do by rote. We can just start to get more and more in touch with things. So, one of the things that I got really clearly this year, so, so clearly, it just kept coming and coming and coming and coming over and over and over again. And I never saw it this way before, and I, I did classes about it. I did a couple of classes in The Living of Course in Miracles. I talked about it in my radio show, so you can always get more of that if you're interested in this thought. But what I found myself talking about again and again is, if you feel in any area of your life like you're being crucified, I mean, some people are actively a martyr because that's... It's, it's a sick and twisted way that they feel good about, good enough to survive, like worthy of love. I'm worthy of love because I've manipulated you with all these things that I'm doing to prove that I'm worthy of love. And those people, those martyrs are always disappointed there's never enough love for them. Because my, my grandmother had that martyr thing going on. And um, when I became a teenager, I started to argue with her and I, I would say, you know, I'm, even when I was a little girl, I can remember her saying to me, you're the most selfish little girl in the whole world. You know, we're all giving to you, and it's never enough for you. And she was just trying to manipulate me to do what she wanted me to do or to, you know, behave differently or something. And by the time I was a teenager, I would just be like, you know, I'm not going to live the way you want me to. I'm not. And I said, you can stop trying to make me because I am not doing that. I won't be, you know, controlled by you. And I just, my whole life is about spiritual sovereignty. And even though I didn't understand it as a child and as a teenager, I, I just thought I was a crazy rebel. But it was really about, I can't let anyone be the boss of me. And, and, and then it came to, I can't let the ego be the boss of me. So first I was rebelling against my family and the rules, and then uh, against the culture and the norms, and, and then uh, against, and then really rebelling against the ego to claim my spiritual sovereignty. So for me, it was a lot of my childhood and teenage years was really painful because I was just constantly rebelling and couldn't stop. And I would get so angry because it, it's the only way that my family would really pay attention. They, would be, they were afraid of my anger and they would back off. Because they realized that my force of will was stronger than theirs. <laughs> because I would fight to the death, literally. And they weren't willing to burn the house down and kill everyone in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's how I felt because I felt like I was 
This is survival of my soul. And not that my parents were unloving or unkind. They they weren't. I just but they were they thought their job was to control me rather than to help me see the best all the time. Just to, you know, it's just the way they were raised. So it just a lot of power struggles. A lot of power struggles. So my grandmother would um, you know, it was she was giving to get for sure. So she wanted to give, give, give all the time so that we would all love her. And it was, you know, it, it, at times it was wonderful because she really did want to give us things. And then other times you could feel she was manipulating you and it was freaky. And, you know, no amount of us receiving everything ever made her feel loved fully and completely, ever. So we, that's the thing about being in a relationship with somebody who's a martyr is you can't really love them because they really feel fundamentally <coughs> so it's, you can't really penetrate that. They have to decide to give it up. But if you hold them in a space of not playing their game, You know, but then it's challenging because it can feel like a power struggle if you don't want to receive all the things that they're doing to prove how good they are. And if you don't value those things, then they're, they're lost. So that's why the transcending, transforming, the transmuting through you holding your sister, that she doesn't need those things anymore. That they're falling away from her. You know, like leaves falling off a tree uh, when going into winter and then whole new foliage that's beautiful and, and healthy and, and nourishing, you know, is going to be reborn in her. And those patterns are falling away forever. She just doesn't need them anymore. They're nothing. Rather than looking at them, labeling them bad and wrong, and then, you know, like drawing a circle and a line through. And that's what A Course in Miracles says. You can't look on sin and then forgive it. You can't affirm that a sin has been committed and then forgive it. That's why I don't even really like the word forgiveness. I prefer just live in non-judgment. And that's the thing is, if you can teach your clients to live in non-judgment, you will bring so much benefit to your whole community. Because it spreads like wildfire. It really does. I just see it in Master for Living how year after year people are just so excited to be less and less judgmental and to be able to have prayer partners and talk about it and, and recognize, yeah, I let that judgment go. I let that one go. And that one, I never thought that would be easy to go. And it went. It went like that. And then the people that you know aren't on the spiritual path are asking them, well, what, what are you doing? Why? How is that? How'd you let that go? Yeah, I just made up my mind. I was just done. I just wanted to be thinking about it anymore. I find that distinction, I'm calling it non judgment, so much more clear than yes. forgiveness. Forgiveness is so loaded. It is. That's so, thank you for that. That's just so clear. Yeah. Yeah, I. Well, the, the hardest thing, I think, it is in the world is meant 
like you said, you know, you did this to me. You did something wrong. And I'm being magnanimous. I'm going to forgive you. But, hey, you you didn't really deserve it. Right. I just did it because, you know, I'm supposed to. I'm a Christian. Yeah. (laughs) I'm a Christian here. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I think that's what makes it so hard to use the word with yeah. people because that's the general way that people in my experience right. look at it mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm really good for forgiving you but mm-hmm. you didn't deserve it also Jennifer when I first started doing this work with you I had a, a different idea of what forgiveness was mm-hmm. to me I wasn't holding a grudge I wasn't upset with anybody and when I may have an argument or a rift with someone, I very quickly, it's done, we move on. I don't really bring it up or remember it. To me, I wasn't carrying on mm-hmm. But I didn't understand that it was the judgments. I had class at 12 o'clock. Oh, oh, oh no. no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. They're gone. 